0: Welcome to this Jeremy Bamber and White House Farm podcast. This episode is accompanied by two plans of the house, which you can download from our website in PDF to follow the chain of events. They're available at www.jeremy-bamber.co.uk. In this episode, we'll discuss three more factors which provide Jeremy Bamber with alibis, all of which prove that he was not and could not. Possibly have been involved with the deaths of his family on the 7th of August 1985. Examination of more than 375,000 pages of case material disclosed to the campaign team in 2011 has now enabled the exposure of the true chain of events which took place at the farm that morning. We raise further issues regarding documented observations made by firearms officers at the scene which prove that life existed inside the house whilst Jeremy was outside in the company of the police. Many statements made by officers at the scene remain hidden by Essex Police. Also, alterations and edits were made to some statements when they were typed up. The first issue we'll discuss is about the observations made by two firearms officers who were monitoring White House Farm between 7am and 7.35am when the raid team eventually forced entry to the house. These were Julia Jeeps and PC Brown. Police Sergeant Julia Jeeps was a firearms instructor who arrived at the scene in a crew bus at 6.45am. After being given information regarding the situation, Jeeps stated that she took over the surveillance position of Police Constable Alexander Smart, Police Constable Collins and Police Constable Delgado covering the front and one side of her house and then they moved further down and positioned themselves inside a barn in the area of the kitchen door. P.S. Jeeps gave evidence that whilst watching the upper windows she observed what appeared to be a rifle in the window of the room next to the main bedroom. This was the box room, situated between the main bedroom and the children's room. P.S. Jeeps described what she saw in the following way. I could also see a window on the first floor of white red side, where the building is clad in grey brick, in which what appeared to be a rifle leaning against the window. Although she was not specific about the time, this observation could only have been between just after 7am when she took up her position and 7.35am when the raid team forced entry. Police Constable Alan Brown was also a member of the Tactical Firearms Unit and arrived at the scene in vehicle QK24 at 7am. After being briefed, he took up his position with his colleague, P.C. Mildenhall, on the corner of the front of the house, P.C. Brown gave evidence that his primary concern had been that he paid particular attention to the upper and lower windows on the white end of Redside and the front door. After a few minutes of monitoring the corner of the house, P.C. Brown recorded in a statement that when he heard the raid team force entry to the house, he and P.C. Mildenhall moved position slightly and were now watching the windows at Whiteside of the house. From this position, they had a clear view of the windows of the box room and the children's bedroom. PC Brown said, The window on the extreme red end of Whiteside did not have curtains drawn, and I could see what I at first thought was a gun. In what is supposedly his first statement made during September 1985, PC Brown said that he was later told, although he does not say by who, that it was not a gun, but that it was a vacuum cleaner or a tube for such a cleaner. Are we really expected to believe that a highly trained firearms officer, standing within close proximity of the house, looking directly at the window, with no obstructions to their line of sight, could confuse a vacuum cleaner with a gun? And would a firearms instructor, P.S. Jeeps, also have stated she saw a rifle if there was no rifle in the window? The evidence of P.S. Jeeps and P.C. Brown strongly indicates that between 7am and when the raid team entered the house, a gun had been propped against the box room window by Sheila. This can only have been the rifle, which was later discovered lying on Sheila's body, as this was the only rifle found upstairs. Of course, this issue could be easily resolved, as DC Bird stated that he was instructed to take photographs of every room of the house, a request which he says he complied with. However, photographs taken of the box room have never been disclosed. This is because there was no vacuum cleaner in the box room and therefore would confirm without question that it was a rifle that was seen in this window by two trained firearms officers at two different times of the morning. We simply have no idea what many of the officers who monitored the windows of the house observed because their witness statements have never been disclosed. Those statements which have been disclosed are supposedly the first written by these individuals. They were written weeks after the event and have only been provided in a typed version. What if anything was edited from the handwritten originals? Surely statements would have been made the same day, or at least the same week as the incident. Are we simply to accept that the first statements from P.S. Jeeps and P.C. Brown were written in mid-September, and also that of P.C. Mildenhall in October 1985? This makes no sense at all, and it is with certainty that the case files from the original murder-suicide investigation will contain much earlier statements however essex police have never disclosed this file it appears that they simply cherry-picked a few select statements to transfer over to the new case number created when jeremy was arrested why have essex police never disclosed the entire contents of the original file created between the 7th of august 1985 and the 7th of september 1985 What is the content of the statements which is preventing Essex Police from making full disclosure of this key material? PC Lawrence Collins, PC Kenneth Delgado and PC Adrian Alexander Smart made up part of the initial raid team just prior to an order being given by Inspector Montgomery to force entry, immediately before the raid team forced entry. PC Collins and PC Delgado checked the back door and found that it was locked with the key inside the lock. PC Collins also looked through the kitchen window. It's of importance to note that the kitchen window, which went down to waist height, had no curtains or nets and the light was on. Therefore, the view into the room could not have been clearer. P.C. Collins reported to his colleagues that he could see the body of a woman in the kitchen. But later, in his evidence made during September 1985, he said that this had been a mistake and that he thought Neville Bamba was a woman at first and so simply corrected himself. There's no mention of this at all in the typed statement, which was supposedly written on the day and again the handwritten version remains hidden by Essex police. We know that the handwritten statements were altered and edited prior to disclosure, which is apparent from another member of the raid team, P.C. Rosgar. In his handwritten statement, dated the 19th of September 1985, he stated when he was in the kitchen, he saw Next to this chair and against the wall was the body of a male who I now know to have been that of Mr. Neville Bamba. This doesn't appear in the typed copy of his statement. Both PC Collins and Delgado briefly testified at the trial, although the transcripts of their evidence have never been disclosed. However, their evidence is discussed in the notes made by Prosecution Junior Counsel Andrew Munday. But several questions that PC Collins should have been asked never were. He should have been asked, for instance, What caused him to think that it was a woman he saw when he looked through the window? Where exactly in the kitchen was the person located? And why did he think it was a dead body? What clothing did he see on the woman? Can he tell the difference between a 6 foot 4 61 year old man and a slender 27 year old woman? APS Woodcock then smashed open the back door striking it five times with a sledgehammer and gained admission. The police were confronted with a choice to turn left or right. They turned right towards the kitchen, and according to APS Woodcock, the kitchen door was not entirely closed. PC Collins, PC Delgado and APS Woodcock made their way into the kitchen. PC Hall and APS Manners stood by the now open back door. P.C. Hall was then told to enter the house. It's recorded on the radio and the police communication logs that upon entry to the house, two bodies were found in the kitchen. Also timed before the raid team entered the house, two handwritten logs record that there were two bodies in the kitchen. The first of these is the scene log from car CA7 containing P.C. Saxby, who wrote... One dead male and one dead female in kitchen. Likewise, at 7.30am, the radio log completed by PC Mile also states 7.30 Bodies. Body found in kitchen, male and female. The reference to the word bodies, plural, and the word female were crossed out of the log by an unknown person at an unknown date. Because of the order of the entries, Female and then male, it cannot be that Neville was at first mistaken for a female. The logs also record that at 7.34am, five blows to the back door could be heard over the phone. This was PC Woodcock forcing entry with the sledgehammer. On this same log, three minutes later, at 7.37am, it records one dead male, one dead female. Therefore, This is conclusive evidence that Neville and Sheila were in the kitchen. Further evidence is contained in a log written by Inspector Norman at 7.38am in which he wrote in separate entries one dead male, one dead female, found on entry to premises. Inspector Norman then wrote that he requested the police surgeon and the coroner's officer to attend the scene. Later entries made on two logs from the scene state that between 8.09am and 8.10am, house now being thoroughly searched by firearms team, now confirmed a further three bodies found, five dead in total. Six firearms officers had initially entered the house. These were PC Collins, PC Delgado, PC Alexander Smart, PC Webb, PC Hall and APS Woodcock. P.C. Hall gave further evidence that after first entering the kitchen, he covered a further closed door with his shotgun, while P.C. Collins opened it to check behind and observe a flight of stairs behind this door. The group of officers who entered the kitchen initially then left the kitchen to return to their original point of entry and proceeded to conduct a search of that area, including a room off to the left. P.C. Hall testified that several minutes into the raid, all the officers met in the kitchen. According to P.C. Alexander Smart, they stood in the kitchen for several minutes discussing what to do next. And it was during this time that P.C. Hall heard a noise upstairs which immediately caused him to call out to Sheila. In his statement, he described... After several minutes, they returned to the kitchen I immediately heard a noise up the stairs I was covering. I was calling to Sheila Bamba to make her whereabouts known to me. PC Hall said that he was later told it was PC Rosgar who was upstairs in the area of an office that he'd heard. However, according to PC Rosgar, he never went into an office upstairs and only entered two rooms upstairs, which were both used for storage, and that was much later on that morning. When P.C. Hall heard the noise upstairs, he was in the kitchen accompanied by P.C. Collins, P.C. Delgado and A.P.S. Woodcock, so it was clearly not a police officer upstairs making the sounds. P.C. Roska was still stationed at the foot of the stairs and he'd not even been approached by the other three officers at that point. The Roska explanation for the noise upstairs can only be a lie. In fact, analysis of the disclosed statements reveals that no one from the raid team was upstairs because they all went there together later. This was once additional officers were in the house to maintain the security and safety of the downstairs cleared rooms. Also, before any of the armed team advanced to the upper floor, a mirror on a pole was requested so that it could be extended up the stairs to see what they could. It's therefore clear that at this stage they strongly believed that Sheila was still alive. This, of course, is a perfectly reasonable assumption, given the body of the female found in the kitchen earlier had now gone. Witness statements set out that even before going upstairs, either PC Collins or PC Delgado opened a window downstairs, because both officers were named by colleagues as having done so. APS Manners unbolted and opened a door at the end of the hallway in case they needed an escape route. This indicates that they'd not found Sheila at that point and they still thought she was at large upstairs and possibly armed. Five police officers then went upstairs, PC Hall, Collins Delgado, APS Manners and APS Woodcock. From the foot of the stairs, PC Rosger heard one of the raid team trying to open a door which appeared to be jammed. APS Woodcock gave evidence that this was a room with a plaque on the door which stated Jeremy's room, and that he was with Collins and Delgado when this door was forced open. Woodcock fails to say what force was used to open the door. PC Rosgar was then called upstairs by APS Woodcock and instructed to enter a large storeroom which contained floor-to-ceiling shelves with old stationery and periodicals on them. He also observed many boxes in this room and discovered a shotgun. APS Woodcock then directed PC Hall into a smaller storeroom from where he was ordered to remain and cover another closed door. So clearly the police were still conducting a careful and cautious search of the building by the time Roscoe was called upstairs. This strongly suggests that the police thought that Sheila was still wandering somewhere in the house. As set out on the police logs, it was 30 minutes after the raid team began their search that they'd found all the deceased. During the 1991 City of London police investigation and in response to questions about spilt sugar and chairs being knocked over, D.I. Ron Cook told the inquiry, I'm aware That by looking at the photographs they might suggest such a struggle, but at the time it did not appear that way to me. I could only see two things broken, one was a lampshade, and the other was a plate or bowl. There was also brown sugar on the floor, but it was confined to one small area. I later learnt that the chairs and the brown sugar had been knocked over by the firearms squad when they rushed about the house looking for Sheila. However, the actions of the raid team and especially the time it took them to advance up the stairs of the house is not indicative of rushing and this can only have been because they knew or at least suspected that Sheila was alive and active. Could it be that the six raid team officers who initially entered the house were simply clumsy as they gathered in the kitchen and disturbed the chairs and the sugar bowl as they manoeuvred around the room. The evidence we've discussed today sets out a chain of paperwork from 7am until after the raid team searched the house and discovered all the occupants dead by 8.09am. WPS, Jeeps and PC Brown strongly indicated that at some time shortly after 7am and immediately after the raid team entered, the rifle, later found on Sheila's body, was propped up in the window of the box room. We know that Sheila was in the kitchen when PC Collins looked through the window just prior to the raid commencing. Although we cannot be certain what time Sheila then went upstairs, we can be sure that she was still alive when she was heard by PC Hall, who shouted up the kitchen stairs for her to make her whereabouts known. The layout of the house Meant that it was easy for Sheila to have run up the kitchen stairs, gone a few feet down the hallway to the children's bedroom, passed through this room, and collected the rifle from the window of the adjacent box room, which was accessible from the children's room. She then must have continued through the box room to the other side, which came out in her parents' room, where she was discovered almost half an hour later on the floor at the side of her parents' bed with a single Fatal Gunshot Wound